Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. A number of Christians these days are learning more about the biblical concept of different spheres of government. So this begins with the fact that God has ordained four specific types of government. These four types are individual government, family government, church government, and civil government. To each of these, then, God has delegated some of his authority. Largely separate, but also overlapping. There's a lot to be discussed there, but we're just going to go on past that right now. So one benefit of understanding this biblical delegation of authority to different spheres of government is that it undermines the idea that many in this world have today, and even a lot of conservatives, that civil government is the supreme governing authority in our world. On today's episode 108 the Liberty Cafe, we're going to look at specifically at the, the authority of family government and to help us understand why civil government is not this overarching supreme governing authority and specifically why civil government has little to no biblical authority for most of the economic regulation it does today. Hi, this is Bill Peacock. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe. It's a blessing to have you here today as it is each week that you come and listen to the Liberty Cafe. Thank you for taking part in what we're doing here. When I say we, I mean not just me, but the folks over at uh, Texas Scorecard who sponsors the Liberty Cafe. So uh, I'm just grateful that, that we all together can be looking to God's Word and looking how we can fight the fight for liberty and remove oppression from this world. So let's get back to this family government concept that I that I brought up at the beginning. So, th- th- I mean, there's really no doubt. I mean, we can all look around us and see that the civil government has basically taken over our lives, thinking that it is the supreme authority over everything, and it, because it regulates in some way just about everything that we do. And as Christians and conservatives, we have to be realistic about this. If we're going to stop this, if we're going to limit this, if we're going to change this, we have to realize that this is not just a matter of the mind. Yes, we have to educate ourselves and others about what God has taught us in the various roles of government in our lives, but it's also a matter of the heart. We, we really need to submit ourselves to God, submit to God ourselves, and take God's word out to others so that they will also submit to God. And it's only through that process, this education process, but also the submission process, that we're going to find change in this world. So that's what trying to do here on the Liberty Cafe, and specifically what we're doing today with when it comes to the role of government regulation. So when we are doing this process, we, we need to kind of look both forward and backwards. We, we need to look back to the understanding that our founding fathers had about unalienable rights and liberty, but we also need to look forward to the way that our economy will function in a world that is filled with people who understand and desire to submit to and obey God's world. And when we do this, we're going to see that that God has delegated his authority for operating and thus actually regulating the economy to families and not the civil government. 
So where do I get off saying this? Well, let's let's take a look at the role of the family. So we have, you know, just very briefly, the family has a head, and that's the father and husband. And then the wife also has authority in the in the family over the children, just like the father does. But she also submits to the father, who is serving her, just like Christ served the church, and serving the children as well, dying to himself for that. And when we do that, we see that there are different roles within the family for each of these. And that also determines not just right within the family, but the economic activity that each one of these folks undertakes. So, for instance, I'm just going to give us a couple of examples here. So we're going to think about Jesus as a carpenter. So we, we don't know much about Jesus's life before his ministry. We, we, we tend to know that he was a, a carpenter, but we know a lot about what carpenters might have been doing, particularly in Galilee, where, where he was from. Remember, he was Jesus of Nazareth. So whereas we, we associate the Jews with Jerusalem in Judea, Jesus wasn't from there. He was from Galilee. It was a very different economic setting down there, whereas Jerusalem and Judea were, were dominated by government and government spending and government public works projects like the building of the temple under Herod. It was much more free market, private economy up in Galilee. And so Jesus is a carpenter who likely not just worked with wood, but also with stone, as the people who were designated carpenter, the, the Greek word for car- carpenter back then, likely did. He would have gone outside his family, left his family at home, and gone out and worked for other people out there. Likely he would have been working for other men, because remember, this was not the government out there largely, but but other uh, private activity. So he had been going out there, other men who also were doing the same thing, going out and leaving their family and putting, doing building projects and things like that for their business. And, and he would hire other men from other families like Jesus, who would do the same thing. And then they would all return home afterwards and bring generally not goods to, into the home, but they would bring money back into the home. They would go out and earn their wages and bring money back into the home. Uh, Now, in the case of women, though, it it looks a little bit different. And and I'm just going to read a little bit from Proverbs 31 to help us understand what this looks like. This is Proverbs 31, 13 to 18, describing this as a woman who's often described as the uh, Proverbs woman. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. As you can see, this married woman in her home while her husband is out working at some other workplace, she is very much engaged in the marketplace. 
she, 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 but it's centered around the home. Now she obviously will go out to uh, the land, but the land is probably around her homestead or close by. She'll, she'll go into the town market, but it's always with a focus of bringing things back into the home. And she's unlike the husband who's bringing money back in the home. She's generally bringing products back in the home, produce and, and clothing and things like this. And then of course, the children in this situation, when they're early on in their lives, when they're not getting educated, they're going to be staying near the home with their mother and engaging in activities that are related to what the mother does, both the males, the boys, and the girls. But as they grow and mature and become adults, then they're, they will too be going out into the world and, and taking part in the world in their own families and in the roles that males and females are designed by God to play. So if we, we see that the vast majority of economic activity in a world, well, at least in, a, in, an, in an economy unencumbered by government intervention through public works projects and welfare and, and regulation, takes place in and around the family. Now, there may be certain types of business associations that undertake economic activity where groups of men get together or groups of women get together. But even those, as we see, are being carried out by the family. Or again, at least they would be in the vast majority of cases in a society where the biblical view of family is valued. So at this point, I hope that we see it's clear that the genesis of all business is in the family. Because all the workers will participate in in a, in a in a business come from families. So let, let me just look at one example here. Let's say a husband and a father is a successful blacksmith. He's so successful, in fact, that he hires apprentice blacksmiths from among the older children who live within the city gates or perhaps live with fa- their families outside the city. So now, all of a sudden, he this blacksmith has three young men working for him. They have... And then, after a while, they have succeeded and finished their apprenticeship, but they still work for him. And now they have families, their own families, young families, with a wife and a mother at home. And so what happens is that the man leaves these, all these young men now leave the city gates out of their families and come and go do their work, but then they come back home. And their wives are doing the same thing. So, but in this situation, we, we see the beginnings of what we might think of of modern corporations, but they're still all taking context of the, of the, in the context of the family. So, now that we have this in place, th- this, this idea that, that business is found grounded in the family, what obligations then do these businesses have to God? And we can place these obligations on both this this ideal model that we're talking about and then the, the modern model of corporations because they're a business and they're going to have these obligations to God. The people in them are going to have these obligations to God no matter what structure their business takes. Well, let, let's look at a few passages from Scripture that, that help inform us on this and, and how businesses might operate in an ethical way that brings glory to God. Let's go back to the the law of ancient Israel. 
that tells a homeowner that he has an obligation to protect his family and visitors to his home from falling off the roof of their homes. Now, to the modern mind, that doesn't make a lot of sense because we have all these sloped roofs with shingles on them. And the only people who go up there are kids who like to run around on the roof and get in trouble and yell at by their parents. But that's not the way it was back in ancient Israel. Most of them tended to have flat roofs because what would happen was the people would go up on their roofs in the evening when it was hot and they would be able in the homes and they would be able to get the advantage of the coolness that was coming into the evening on that. Well, of course, if that were to happen, they were flat roofs, people could fall off and hurt themselves. And so the Bible commanded people to put railings around their households, the roofs of their house, so that people wouldn't fall off. Well, what does that tell us about the ethical responsibilities of a business owner in, in today's world? Well, let's just say that that business person is a home builder. So in, in most cases, as we know, we, we don't have roofs where the roofs are flat, right? They're, they don't need a rail around them. But yet the obligations of these homeowners are still the, the same. If we look at it from the, like the general equity, the intent of these laws, so a home builder today, for instance, should build a rail on the balcony of, a, of the second floor of a home that he built. Right? He, he would be under an ethical obligation to build that. He, we wouldn't need laws, code, building codes and things like that to do that. He should be under these uh, obligations from an ethical, moral standpoint. Not, not to say there, there can't be some, some laws about this, but, but that comes from this biblical concept, not from just a set of laws that are out there. Or if he builds a pool into a home, he may will have an obligation to uh, put a fence around the pool to protect children and the household and, and the children of visitors. So there's a lot of ways we can look at this, and there's a lot of variables, but, but that just gives us an idea of that. But then we come to the situation, well, what if a business owner fails in his obligations and someone is hurt? What, what happens then from this biblical perspective? Well, of course, today we know how that would go. We would have probably um, some building code thing come along and, and the court, the regulators would come in from the city of Austin and they would say this code, this house wasn't built to code and they would come and prosecute them and do all these kinds of things. But, and of course, there would have been a lot of regulation going on beforehand. They would have had inspectors coming in all the way through the process and telling them, no, you didn't do this right, and you didn't do this right, and you didn't do this right. So the, the enforcement of these government regulations starts long before anybody's done anything wrong. But if we went back to the biblical perspective, that, that's not the case. What we would have is a, would be a builder free to build the home in the way that he and the homeowner thought were ethical and right, the proper way to do things according to God's law. They wouldn't have a bunch of bureaucrats hovering over them, guiding their every step. And then as the product was finished and something bad happened like that, well, we would have the courts to step in, but it wouldn't be the criminal courts that we often have today in situations like this. It would be the civil courts. 
say for instance the the homeowner the builder did something that didn't wasn't like the homeowner thought it would be let's say just the the construction of the second floor balcony it was there but it was very shoddy and somebody leaned against it and it fell well rather than having criminal charges and an army of regulators coming in and doing something about this the the owner of the home would be able to go to civil court and, and this is the way it worked in the old testament you'd be able to go before the city gates and talk to the elders of the city and bring bring charges if you will or bring his case against them and seek damages in the, in the case of something like this happening we don't you know the the bible only had about 3,000 laws in it. If you look at the Old Testament, that's where most of them were, some in the New Testament, about 3,000 laws. It would seem to me today that if the Bible can regulate all of human society through 3,000 laws, the I think I can't remember how many laws it was, but well in excess of 100,000 laws on the books in the United States today. I think it was a lot more than that. But we, we don't need all those laws. We could pare this down quite a bit. And we could also pare down the regulators and turn most of these things over to the courts rather than to an army of bureaucrats today. And, and that's what we have today. So instead of having people being able to go to court, settle their differences, receive compensation for torts and harms against them, Instead, we have an army of regulators and bureaucrats who are just making laws to not not just hold these businesses accountable, but to change the nature of the relationship between families out there doing business together, rather than the families deciding the terms of the business relationships out there. Now we have a few bureaucrats and politicians making these decisions for us. They pass laws. They force laws and often determine who is even guilty of violating these laws. They have become really not just judge, jury, and executioner, but lawmakers and police as well. In fact, they've become the supreme authority in the land. And unlike the the admonition in Romans 13 that civil authorities be a terror to bad conduct, they've actually become now a terror to good conduct. And, in fact, they've made themselves to be more and more like God. Of course, this takes us back to the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve violated God's law and exceeded God's delegation of authority to them in an effort to be like him. And this was, of course, the same thing that happened at the Tower of Babel, where they disobeyed God, and instead of going out there and obeying his commandment to fill the earth, they gathered together and and tried to make for themselves a place in heaven, reaching up to heaven through this, this tower. Well, whenever we see man trying to supplant God from his throne and replace ourselves on the throne, on his throne, we know that something very bad is going on. And as I hope I've shown today, and this is just the beginning of it, but I hope at least I've given you some thought about how most economic regulation by civil government in the world today is just one more example 
of people in authority violating God's prescribed order for mankind and trying to take his place. Well, thank you once again for being here with me on the Liberty Cafe. And also, thanks to Texas Scorecard, our sponsor. Please go on over to texasscorecard.com and see what they have going for you today. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate this show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.